Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Hello and welcome to Headliners with me, Stephen Allen. Uh, tonight's panel for this special Olympus Has Fallen episode are the comedy legends of Josh Howey and Roger Monkhouse, making his Headliners debut. So I'll start by saying, Josh, I mean, you've, you've done a fair few of these. You've done like three weeks' worth in the last week, probably. Um, any advice to give a newbie? Um, grow your hair a little bit on the sides, just to fit in with us, if you want to do that. Welcome, Roger. Hello. Very nice People to don't be know here. brilliant stand-up. We are honoured to have your presence here. Thank you for coming along. Delighted to be here, of course. If only a little disappointed not to have been called into the cabinet this evening. I know. There's still time. There Don't is still time. Yeah. Absolutely. You could resign. You could like be on and resign straight away. This will be the quickest appearance ever. It's early yet. Well, let's start off by taking a look at the front pages for tomorrow. We start with uh, Daily Mail. You will spot a theme in the front pages, to be honest, but they go with, uh, can even Boris, the greased piglet, wriggle out of this? That's the <laughs> nickname that he was given by David Cameron, and that man... Uh, knows his pigs. The Daily <laughs> Telegraph, Johnson hanging by a thread as Sunak and Javid walk out. <clears throat> Prime Minister scrambles to shore up his cabinet after a wave of resignations, but insists he will carry on as leader. The Guardian goes with PM on the brink after Javid and Sunak quit. A day of apologies, uh, shoring up support, then the letters arrive. Clearly not a story about Royal Mail. Uh, Financial Times has Johnson on brink as ministers quit. Uh, then we go to the Times with... Johnson on the brink. You see what I mean about spotting that pattern? Uh, Prime Minister rocked as Chancellor and Health Secretary quit. Sunak, I've been loyal, but we cannot continue like this. Uh, the Sun says Boris on the brink as Rishi and Saj quit. Last chance saloon is their way of summing it up. The Metro sums it up interestingly. Uh, ministers in a pincher movement going 6.02pm. Sajid Javid quits. Going 6.11pm. Rishi, Rishi Sunak quits. Gone? Question mark. PM is still clinging on to power. And the Daily Star even goes with uh, the same story, which means that I guess there's no alien news today. Cabinet ministers desert Pinocchio. Curtains for Bozo. And that, uh, that's your front pages. Let's start off with Wednesday's Telegraph. Boris's cabinet's folding like he got it from Ikea, Roger. Yeah, absolutely. This is the big one. This is the felling of the big dog. Um, it had to end sometime. If indeed it's going to end now, it's impossible to say, isn't it? Yet, because he is, as you've said, the greased piglet. Um, and it was always going to be messy when it did end. Of course, it's inevitable that that's the case. It's been a fabulous roller coaster ride, and maybe he's been caught fibbing one final time. Uh, but this evening, of course, it's a bit covered by the news already. Uh, he uh, released his filmed clip for the 6pm news. It was a mistake and I apologise. I presume he's got several of these in a cabinet <laughs> waiting to release at any time. Um, an unusually deflated Prime Minister finally said sorry over his handling of the Chris Pincher scandal. But then his thunder was stolen completely by um, uh, Rishi Sunak and uh, also, of course, Javid um, Javid, Sajiv Jadiv, Javid, I do apologise, Sajiv Javid, uh, who stole Rishi Sunak's thunder, actually, by uh, nipping in just ahead of him. 
Uh, and that's left two big vacancies, two big dogs outside of the cabinet. How long can it possibly last? It's impossible to say, isn't it, really? Well, the thing is, I mean, this story, if this were about any other prime minister, all the newspapers would probably be right in saying, well, this is going to be it. But these are different times. This is the Boris Johnson show. I mean, the newspapers are bound to go with, this is the end, but they'll do that every single front page to try and sell more copies. Is this likely to be the end, Josh? Well, at some point, he will run out of people in government. So... Possibly so. I mean, I I don't see how he can really... And I've always said, seen him as almost invincible, seemingly just from evidence. But I like how The Telegraph has written this. They they have they said he was left staggering about, like, Rocky in his final fight. And then the next sentence is, he's on the brink of being booted out. And it's like, mate, don't mix your metaphors here. Like, punched out, whatever, don't do it. But he's... Uh, so he's, he's now turned to... Um, op- to replace um, now as his, uh, who was his chief of staff, but now I believe he's replacing Sunak, is ultra-loyalist Steve Barkley. And I think that's very brave. Going with the whole Northern Irish thing uh, is a good... Is that, did I read that right? Did they mean it if I got the context wrong? Probably. It's not an ultra-loyal... No. That way. OK, so someone who's loyal. <laughs> they found someone who's loyal to Boris Johnson. I don't really know that much about politics, to be fair. I just... <laughs> You're on the right show. <laughs> OK, good. Loads of the Cabinet have come out and declared their loyalty, but then, of course, they'll be the ones who are waiting for the stalking horse to do the damage before they hey. run successfully for That's the leadership. You know your of politics. There you never know quite what the machinations are, do you? Yeah. Um, it's never the one who wields the knife who no. comes. And Liz Truss is very sort of having these champagnes with Liz or whatever she calls it. She's obviously angling for it. So, yeah. She's like... absolutely a front-runner. Yes, she's been courting the Tory party for a long, long time, of course. Um, and, and Boris has only desperately, at the last minute, started trying to woo his own MPs by touring uh, the tea room earlier today hilariously. I presume he'll be making another surprise visit to Kiev over the next 24 hours <laughs> as well. Doing another Brexit. Thank wow. You. you know, I was overhearing someone on the train, because this is what I do when I'm on trains, I'm not to be trusted, and they were saying, is this going to be a general election? Now, this is not the way that it should pan out, but actually, would that be a stroke of genius? If there's one thing Boris seems to be known for, it's winning elections. If the one thing the Conservative Party would like is to win elections, should he just go to the public, get it that would mandate be a fabulous way to front down his own party, potentially, because, of course, he's not going to go quietly. All the pundits have said he's not going to go quietly. It was wittily suggested earlier today on the news uh, that if a loyal aide walked in with a bottle of whiskey and a loaded revolver, he would shoot the aide and drink the bottle of whiskey. He might well front down his own party and go to the polls. And of course, only then would he perhaps, and even then perhaps not, be removed from number 10. Yeah, well, essentially, Keir Starmer says that he wants a lecture or he'd be up for it. But I wonder if they really are. I don't think they're really ready yet. He's done... A lot of work, but he, I don't think the Labour Party is there yet, necessarily. The well, Labour Party aren't as far ahead as they really should be, given no. how much chaos has been emanating from Number 10, given the chaos that the government is in. It's preposterous, really, that the official opposition isn't many more points ahead in the polls than yeah. they actually are. And I think they wouldn't mind him staying or someone else coming in who's a bit rubbish and seeing how that goes before to get that sort of point lead going on. So, Like Trump, of course, uh, Boris is the ultimate campaigner. So it wouldn't be a bad final throw of the dice. Perhaps that is How the many lies happen. have there been? How could anybody take anything that he says on the campaign trail like it would actually happen? 
Yeah, but it'd be fun on this show, wouldn't it? Every I'll be night great. Come on, boys, stick around. The whole, the whole few years have been terrific fun. We'll miss him dearly <laughs> when he's gone because it's been chaotic and it's been glorious and it's been hilarious. And it's delightful always, even now, to see how apoplectic uh, people who aren't fans of Boris Johnson uh, get at the mere mention of his name. They throff at the mouth and they can't understand uh, why he has stood like a colossus in many ways over politics over the last two years because so few other people, Keir Starmer being an example, has anything like his charisma. That's what I was going to say, charisma, there it is. Yeah, in the land of no personality, the man with half a personality is king. Something like that. Well, he will be for a little while longer. We'll see how long. Uh, tomorrow's mirror now, and of all the times to not have a health minister, this might be a tricky one, right, Josh? Yeah, so this is quite interesting, but supposedly numbers now of people uh, with uh, dying of COVID are higher than last summer. So that is, I, I knew that every, I mean, just anecdotally, people, have, a lot of people I know have, have, have seem to have COVID at the moment or are having it. Um, that's why I have been on so so much recently. <laughs> just covering <laughs> That's covering, why I'm here. Covering everybody else. <laughs> But, but I mean, as a replacement <laughs> host, I can't judge you for being... I'm the bus replacement service of TV people. Josh, are you free? Will it get it? Get me out of my house with my five kids doing dinner. Yes, I'm free. Very much so. Um, but uh, but then it's now it's, it's funny because I've sort of missed these numbers. You know, they used to every day there would be like the updates of all the numbers. So this whole article in the mirror is all about all the different numbers. And I realised because I would just get angrier and angrier during COVID because it would the way that they would say you know, people with COVID or people dying with COVID as their figure, as opposed to people who've dying of COVID. And it would just get me more and more upset. Uh, but the figures here are, um, are definitely indicative of something going on. In the four weeks to June 24th this year, COVID was mentioned on 1,000 1, death certificates compared to 383 last year. So even whether the criteria of with COVID uh, the fact is, more people are dying. I suppose that's a good point, yeah. Even if these are with ones, people will say, like, oh, if you have COVID and fall off a ladder and die, you'd be counted as a death with COVID. Yeah. Why are more people falling off ladders than this summer, would be the question. If there's an increase, what's behind the increase? Well, um, can I chip in here and point out a couple of things? As I recall, last summer, we were between waves, weren't we? And I think I'm right in saying that the vaccination programme had just kicked in this time last year. Yeah. So the fact that deaths are now slightly worse than they were exactly a year ago shouldn't entirely cloud your vision. And you have to acknowledge that deaths this year are massively down on last yeah. year. Yeah. So it's all about waves, isn't it? And it's very, very, it's, it's an impossible tsunami of, of, of statistics. It's, yeah. it's always it's, been another weird one is that impossible it's, to follow. the numbers are up from even pre-COVID. Deaths are up even then, even more then. So they're saying, be yes. careful. It's like, don't just be careful COVID stuff. Be careful doing it, going up the ladder or doing any of it. Arguably, you can only measure it by excess deaths. And even then, it's excess deaths over a longer period than this. It's not, you know, one month compared to this time last year. It's got to be over a sequence of years. And, and there is an argument that, that one of the consequences of lockdown is that more people are dying of undetected cancers, various other conditions mm. which weren't diagnosed 
because the whole health service was frozen. For Welcome to GB News. So, uh, <laughs> being told you made a great start. Look at that. Um, moving on now with leadership elections, COVID on the increase, and now Wednesday's Guardian with the story of masks making a comeback. It's just like early 2020 all over again, right? It's 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 the same story really on a run. This is uh, this is from the Guardian, uh, which is of course a long-standing cheerleader of lockdown and indeed um, governmental meddling in the intricacies and minutiae of all our lives. Uh, but this, reasonably enough, reports that Professor Andrew Pollard, who is the chair of the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation, has suggested it would be sensible for hospitals to reintroduce mandatory mask wearing. That doesn't seem too controversial, frankly, to me, uh, given that hospitals are... Uh, magnets of uh, magnets for vulnerable people, uh, and of course there is a proven minor prophylactic value to wearing masks. It seems a fairly straightforward and uncontroversial measure. Yeah, I mean the, the interesting thing is is in hospitals is how much uh, better they are at treating people with COVID and how many yes. deaths there are once you do get into hospitals. Absolutely. There's also thinking about your whole sort of wave thing. I don't want to be, but maybe it's a slightly good thing. Get the wave out of the way now before winter. Mm. Oh, yeah. Putting it out there. Well, also, it's a while, isn't it? It's a while since we all had our boosters. So our, the, the efficacy of the booster program is presumably waning and the, last, the latest variants are fairly mild. They're not typically killing people. One in 30 people supposedly have, has COVID at the moment in the UK. We've all had it statistically two or three times in all probability. <laughs> you That's can't a bad get it. time for a nervous cough. I've had it about six times, I think. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure I've had it once, but, I, I, you know, I, I can't be absolutely sure. But apparently with COVID, this is one of the dangerous and interesting things about it. Unlike flu, you can catch it several times over a relatively short period of time. And every time you catch it, there is a statistical small chance of you walking away with the symptoms of long COVID. And no one wants that, obviously. I heard a documentary on Radio 4 uh, about the victims of long COVID, and they'd all been left with tragically thin, whiny voices. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wednesday's Telegraph with more details of the July the 4th shooting, Josh. Yes, yeah, so obviously this has sort of happened, day, you know, a day or two ago, but, but now finally we're finding out who did it. Um, and it was a rapper, or a, it wasn't really a rapper, an aspiring rapper every, uh, called Robert Bobby Crimo III, uh, but I think, or his stage name, Awake the Rapper. Uh, but yeah, they found a bunch of videos online. He had a YouTube channel filled with mass shootings and violence. Of course, it was with a, a high-powered unnecessary rifle that, of course, they will not make illegal, even though they kill lots of people. But whatever, America, have your fun, or whatever you want to call it, the madness there. And... Um, yeah, it, it's uh, he's a Trump supporter. I don't know what you want to look into that. I don't want to get loads of tweets from Trump supporters going, stop attacking us. But he he attended a Trump rally uh, dressed as Where's Wally, uh, <laughs> which uh, well, dressed as Waldo actually from Where's Wally, and they kind of they had to explain that for any older readers. Also earlier on, they said that that he had a video containing uh, referencing Lee Harvey Oswald, Oswald, the man who assassinated President. FJ, for, the, for any younger viewers. So it's nice that the Telegraph is trying to cover all the bases by explaining all these uh, these various references. But um, as he to was... whether... Yeah, I mean, basically, he he, he, he sounds like... it's it, it's a, He was also... He wore a jumper in a photo which had this... Uh, I don't know if you heard this, Pepe the Frog. 
That's the whole story. So that is used, and they say it here, a popular sing, sing, uh, symbol amongst alt-right groups. But it's not. It's a popular symbol amongst neo-Nazi far-right groups. I don't know why they've changed it to alt-right. Uh, like, why not just say, or why not just say far-right? Also, he had a his nickname on some server was SS or whatever. So sounds like he was a big old racist, um, and he's killed um, a bunch of people and uh, injured Many more, I think. Six people killed, 36 injured. There's only one solution to this, isn't it? And it seems obvious from this side of the Atlantic, and that is that you shouldn't give assault rifles to disturbed kids. Mm. And, uh, yeah, and, and also the uncle did the old... Uh, there was no sign. There was no signs that I saw that would make him do this. He's a quiet kid. He's oh. usually on his own. He's a lonely, quiet person. Might I suggest that that's the sign? Yes, well, yes, but no, absolutely. As, as someone, I'm a, you know, I'm an introvert. I've done the tests online, I'm an introvert. Let's not tar us all with the same brush. Just because I'm a, a bit of a quiet loner yeah. doesn't mean at some point I'm going to go on a rampage. doesn't mean I'm not, but it doesn't mean I am. And across America, there are hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of emos, disturbed teenage kids who won't go on to do anything like this. Similarly, in this country, you know, a tiny minority of psychopaths goes on to be a serial killer. The vast majority, of course, lead ordinary, relatively decent lives. Successful lives uh, in the government. Is that what you're saying? Oh, in yeah. comedy. <laughs> in comedy as well. I mean, we should point out, at the moment, we don't, he's not been found guilty, he's just been arrested for this, but we will continue to follow the details of this case. I'm sure this story will keep coming back. Oh. Wednesday's independent Just Stop Oil won't stop using glue, Roger. Oh, this is a more fun story. Um, this is the story of the five, the five of them, five campaigners from the group Just Stop Oil, who glued their hands to the frame of a copy of Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper, a copy attributed to one of the artist's pupils, Gian Pietrino. You all right? Perfect. How wise not to attempt the Gian, accent. Gian Pietrino. What's um, happened? So, if I press the button, we've now done this in a different language. Five of them lined up with the hand stuck to the frame of a relatively minor work of art. This seems like an obvious solution to this. Um, you could just leave them there, couldn't you, really? <laughs> that would test their resolve and their dedication. This is, they're not like being stuck to a road. They'd just walk out with a painting, wouldn't they? This could be the, base, the best heist film ever. Well, you say that, and this is what really made me laugh was, because it says, within minutes, half a dozen security... Within minutes of this Last <laughs> Supper picture! <laughs> how rough, how rubbish... How cherished it was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> within, a, I mean, that's just... That's, exactly, let's do a heist, because it sounds like the easiest place <laughs> to rob in the world. But they're not stopping traffic, are they? They're not causing a public disturbance, so... Leave them there and potentially within a few weeks, you know, it could be some sort of modern British artist stroke renaissance mashup, couldn't it, really? You <laughs> yeah. could have the rotting corpses of protesters lined up. OK, I've gone too far no. there. I can see that. It not is weird to try and hit us in the, the museums. I'm not sure, I'm not sure oh. people get... Because, you know, yeah. when, when the stories were impacting M25 drivers, who used mm -hmm. the M25 every day, I'd get angry. And then you hear the story protesting museums. Like, oh, no, that's terrible. Well, it makes like, sense if the sponsors of the museum are yeah, perhaps like big BP, oil. I think, used to sponsor the Royal... Sure. Yeah. But, no, they're, trying, they're saying their whole reasoning is because they want to raise awareness within the art world Whatever it's an annoying and well and also like the you know you saw those videos of people like protesting in remember in the street and stuff and there were people like what you know in vans getting out and just picking the people up and pushing them aside. You're not going to get that in the art gallery. They're going to be like, hmm, this is an interesting yeah. interpretation of the uh, of the Last Supper thing. Today's protest followed a similar protest yesterday, where um, in front of the Haywayne, two protesters once again stuck their hands to the frame. They were later named, because today's protesters haven't been named yet, but these two were named 
um, as music student Eben Lazarus, 22, and psychology student Hannah Hunt, 23. Both of Brighton. Goes back to my original point. They wouldn't exist, <laughs> would they? But you know what they did is they put up pictures on the actual picture. And that, that yes. is when you start like, actually possibly damaging mm-hmm. the Vandalism. art. And yeah, exactly. I mean, I hope that they used sort of, they, they, that they used like blue tack, but not the fake blue tack, like the good blue tack, the branded blue tack. Otherwise, it could be some real damage. Yeah, absolute mess. Are you hoping to gain from your endorsement of the real blue tack? <laughs> Sponsored. Well, this is why I'm wearing this blue shirt this evening, actually. It's my blue tack shirt. Welcome back to Headliners with me, Stephen Allen, Josh Howie and Roger Monkhouse. And between the three of us, the amount of powder we needed for these foreheads, we will bankrupt this place. Um, Wednesday's Times. And I learned this the old-fashioned way. I had two rabbits growing up, so my expectations were all wrong. But sex education is back in the news, Josh. Yes. Uh, so horrendous sex education lessons uh, are going to be investigated by the Children's Commissioner. And actually, you say back in the news, but there have been these kind of reports that have been trickling out over the last few months of some ridiculous things that have been coming out in these school sex education lessons. of uh, and, and it seems like the problem is a lot of this has been like outsourced because the schools aren't exactly sure on what it is they're supposed to teach or it's not been formatted the right way. They've been sort of outsourcing it to these providers. And these providers, some of them, it turns out, are incredibly inappropriate. They're pushing ideology, certainly something like gender ideology. Some of them are like linking to like, one of them linked to a porn site through their material. So they really need to get on top of it. I just learned that RSE means, I thought it meant religious studies. So I didn't know that RSC, did you know that was that was sex studies? I no. had to work it out. It's I relationship did, yeah. and sexual education. Is that what it was? Is that I, what it is? My son got an A in RSC. I was like, oh, he's doing really well <laughs> studying, the, <laughs> studying the Bible. Shouting or whatever. God. But it turns out it wasn't that at all. <laughs> so it is good that they're looking into it. I find it slightly ridiculous that it's taken so long to get to this point. Some of the examples are, are, are disturbing. There's a, a nine-year-old supposedly came home shaking because they'd been taught about rape. There'd been a, uh, a distraught uh, six-year-old who'd been taught about masturbation. This is utterly inappropriate. How it has got so far and for so long is blows my mind. What's the right way of doing it, though? This is the well, impossible Well, they need to format. To they obviously find. need to give very precise... Um, indicators of what is meant to be taught and the ages that are meant to be taught and yeah. do studies into it and do it and not just sort of leave it up to some, oh, we can just hire in this company that yeah. we don't know really anything about and what they're pushing during these lessons. Yes, I'm not comfortable with outsourcing. Certainly yeah. that seems wrong, fundamentally wrong. My daughter's 14 and all sex education, however, gently and appropriately handled is horrendous as far as she's concerned because, of course, at that age it is. But nonetheless, it's important, I think, passionately, that the authorities do tackle it because, of course, you can't rely upon parents to tackle it appropriately. And I sincerely hope that it's far, far better than anything I received in the way of sex education, which was simply antediluvian. And non-existent. <laughs> is that how your father explained it to you? <laughs> so, what you do is you take your antediluvian and you take their diluvian. <laughs> Get it done yeah. from my parents. Together. <laughs> it was it a different rains. age. <laughs> but we are agreed that some should be done. I mean, there, there, there's a, a, especially online conversation where almost it's about not having sex, educa- sex education. It should be done. The problem with outsourcing is it outsources blame. So, you ah, know, oh, if it's yes. taught wrong, it's not our fault, it's the people we brought in. Absolutely, you put your finger on it. But I think it's the head, the headmasters, headmistresses, whatever. I think it's their fault for not 
properly checking out what these companies are saying. It's really mm -hmm. Sure. Well, Wednesday's Guardian, and if you're off to university, uh, less chance of getting a first, but the same chance of getting into debt. Good news, Roger. Yes, great news. This is, um, I suspect this is a non-story, actually. This is The Guardian, and it's a story about uh, universities declaring that they are going to stop grade inflation uh, and uh, cut back the awarding of uh, firsts and two ones by perhaps 25% to pre-pandemic levels. You see, the proof's in the pudding. I suspect it will never happen because the sad truth is that education is now um, a competitive uh, resource uh, and universities, the institutions, are competing for trade. And it's perfectly rational, perfectly reasonable that students will go to the universities where they are more likely to get a first or a two-one. That's what's happened over the last couple of decades, and I don't see how that's going to be reversed just by making a statement saying that it should happen. Well, it was accelerated, but it's, I didn't know these figures. 38% of undergraduates Startling. last year, yeah, in, in 2021, 38% were awarded a first, and that's more than double the 16% that was 10 years ago. So yeah. that's 29% a, that's a just before. But like you say, so this grade inflation thing was happening pre-pandemic, it went from 16 to 29%. And I'm sure that coincided exactly, like you said, with people now paying, oh, getting into debt to, to some cases, hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of pounds of money. But still, to 38% if everybody uh, getting a, a first. And I feel... The he values the yeah, degree it's, it's, to it's, such a degree. And I, the people I feel sorry for, 18, 19-year-olds, of course, this was their year. They graduate from school. They're into university. And then suddenly everything's shut down. And now they're going to be told, oh, by the way, not only that happened, but by the time you get to grad, you're going to, your degree is probably going to be less than someone who kind of went through it. So I think an entire generation has been fleeced. I think it's uh, entirely wrong. Uh, disgusting. I haven't got any answers, sadly. But I think an entire generation has been defrauded of a large amount of money. Yeah. And so often now as well, with so many degrees uh, being, frankly, of little value, the best degrees still get you the higher life expectancy and indeed the higher earning potential, but so many Mickey Mouse degrees are now given out uh, and uh, people walk away with these qualifications and gain no benefits. I think if I was... Um, well, I did get on GB News, so to be fair... <laughs> if I was advising a little bit. <laughs> um, an 18-year-old, I would tell them to seriously consider whether they should perhaps uh, go straight into business, commerce or, or learn a trade rather than... But investing an obscene yeah. amount of money in in, yeah. in a degree that potentially doesn't. Oh, no, I, I tell that's why I, I tell my kids do but something, it, find the passion that you. But have. extrapolate that forwards. If we follow these figures, give it another twenty or thirty years, everyone not only will have a first, they'll also have a doctorate, and you'll have one person who went, "Oh, I didn't go and do this." It'll be like life will be like that scene in Spies Like Us, where the doctors meet the other doctors. Then this is why you don't need to worry about <laughs> about the Mister and Mrs. titles anymore. Everyone's going to be a doctor in the future. That would be wonderful, of course, if the education was of the quality that. You you're assuming yeah. on that, that implies. But tragically, it's never not. Get it's devalued. Spies like us reference in any other team. That's true. Well done. So yeah. collapses on a plane as a doctor on this plane. Sadly, all of them. Um, Wednesday's Daily Mail. Good news for underqualified people wanting to get a new job. Insert Boris Johnson joke here, Josh. <laughs> yeah. So this is a uh, job shortage, particularly in hotels. And now they're just giving uh, the job to anybody who essentially turns up. You don't need your CV. You don't need any experience. They're so desperate. And I'm, I was reading this and I was getting like all ready to do my old, uh, 
Oh, see what happens, Brexit, blah, hey, hey. Oh, then it turns out it's actually about Spain and Portugal mm. uh, and the hospitality industry there, which is suffering. They admit themselves, they've just been underpaying their staff for a long time. Absolutely. And finally it's caught up with them. And certainly during lockdown, where a lot of these people, you know, they just basically fired a bunch of people and said, see you later. Then those people went off and found other jobs and went, hey, wait a minute, I'm actually getting paid much better and treated better and doing a better job. Like, they're not going back to those jobs anymore. So now... Uh, these hotels are kind of messed up. And if you've booked your summer holiday in one of those places and in a hotel, you might uh, find yourself ringing down for help or anything and not getting anything because yeah. they're, they're closing bars during the week. They're closing certain days. Uh, it the- will be messy in the short term. But I've got to say, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with giving a job to someone without experience and qualifications because actually that's basically what an apprenticeship is, isn't it? You know? Uh, most importantly, though, once again, you put your finger on something there saying that they simply haven't been investing, they haven't been paying enough. Mm. And this, it's a bit, it goes into Brexit, doesn't it? We've, I mean, the, the only way out of it is to invest in a high-wage economy whereby we pay more for the product, but we value the people who are delivering it to us. Yes, so there we go. So that is your option. It's a good news if your workers to get higher jobs, but then yeah. it's going to be bad news for people because they're going to put up the price of hotels and whatnot. Um, and it's going to be a uniquely bad news place in between, because that's a long-term solution. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it gets meanwhile, messy. Meanwhile, no the doubt. service you've got to get is going to be terrible. Oh, so, someone who couldn't even write a CV turns out, I mean, obviously, they will have a first from a university, <laughs> but they will give you some terrible help. But we've been benefiting for such a long time within the EU, of course, by getting served our coffee, for instance, by people who've got PhDs in languages and, and all... Ma- we've got rocket scientists coming to sweep our streets, and it's... Pre- Preposterous. Yeah, but they do a great job. They do a wonderful <laughs> job. But, really, but also, they yeah. They have a great latte. These new recruits, though, yeah, they're going to get six hours of training and learn on the job. And, um, you know, that sounds like, yeah, that's how it works. Yeah. Good for them. Wednesday's Telegraph. I can't believe it's only butter, right? Huh. Well, this is the news, which is hardly news, is it? Uh, <laughs> butter's this is gone big, up. This is huge news. Butter's gone up. This is big wow. news. Uh, this is Lure Pack, which has apparently hit £9 a pack. Now, let's read the detail here. It's £9 for a kilogram. That works out uh, £2.25 for a standard butter pack. That's not so remarkable. I think we all know that butter's gone yep. up that much or to that price. But supposedly, um, some Asda stores are needing to security tag their um, Lure Pack. It is nice. Uh, in the same way that they've previously been putting security tags on their electrical goods and such like. It's very hard to imagine, frankly, a skaghead going into Asda and thieving the lure pack to resell. I don't really see that that's ever going to happen. melt as they're running away. <laughs> yeah. so in their sweaty palms. Yeah. But I love this idea of the resell because I noticed, um, this was in Marks and Spencer, so all of a sudden I look posh, but um, they put the security <laughs> tags on prawns. Same thing. Who's turning up to a pub later going, yeah, do you want to buy some prawns? But I've not refrigerated <laughs> for five hours. There's no resale oh. value, is there? Yeah, no, pack's not. always been £9 a kilogram in Marks and Spencer, hasn't it? I have no idea. <laughs> I was lost. Well, <laughs> if I may say one word to our viewers, Costco. Costco. It's much cheaper in Costco. There's one reason to go to Costco there. I'm a big fan of Costco. Much cheaper, lower pack. And I, even a few years ago when things were very at the toughest it's been for me, Really, everything else was going out of our shopping baskets, whatever. The one thing that stayed was lower pack. 
And blue tack, of course. So you're blue tack. Well, now I get as much as I... As long as I mention it every show, they send me as much as I want. Well, since we're hoping to gain benefit from our commercial endorsements, I have to say that Sainsbury's have cut me a deal on their butter, which is perfectly adequate, if not quite as nice as Lurback. Other butters, of course, are <laughs> uh, Wednesday's Daily Mail tells us why we have that little cry every time we have to fill up the car, Josh. So it's quite an interesting article in the Daily Mail. I knew some mm. of it, but essentially the whole thing is what are, breaks down the costs of petrol and diesel and why things are as expensive as they are. Now, the big complaint, of course, is that the petrol stations are not passing on these savings. So this kind of breaks that down. If you'd want to save yourself a big old 20-page article... It seems like, yes, they are ripping us off a yes. little bit. Uh, but let's, uh, let's see how they get there. Uh, first of all, the price of petrol is about um, crude oil. That's going to be the, that's going to fix it at the moment. Uh, obviously, that's gone up a lot because uh, what's happening in Russia. And it's not that the UK is directly affected as much. That We only, I think, get 7% from Russia. But the point is, it's pushing up all the prices around the rest of the world. It's a global price. Yeah, it's exactly. A, it's a... Uh, internationally set price. Yeah, and then you've got this uh, environmentally, uh, environmentally friendly stuff that goes in E10 and E5. Yep. Supposedly that's pushing up because, of course, that is also related. It's biofuel, so that's being pushed up. Uh, and then you have taxation. That is the big thing. Of course, it was dropped 5p uh, a few months, a month or so ago, but then that seems to have made no difference because petrol at the moment is the highest it's ever been, just under uh, £2, essentially. And, um, and then finally, um, you've got uh, Russian oil to see whether, if they do decide to take the war, how much longer it's going to go, or if Russia decides to mess even further with the world economy and they cut back on whatever production they are putting out there, that could just send things spiralling. Mm. One of the sick things is that Russia is profiting enormously from the world oil price at the moment. I, think, I, I, I believe I read the other day that they have, this year so far, earned 100, I think it's about 30% more than they earned through petrochemical so billion, sales. billion dollars a day or more something. More than like they that, did yeah. last year and, and whilst producing less because of, yeah. obviously, the, uh, the, the boycotts. Yeah. So, obscenely, they're massively profiting from, from the international crisis the, but, created by their own absolutely. invasion. But five weeks of the declining wholesale prices, that's what people have been going. Like RAC and these companies go, yeah. wait a minute, it's kind of been going down, Why, or it has been going down, mm -hmm. steadily, why are they? And they've worked it out, and they're basically saying that they haven't been passing this on. And what after the end? At the end of the day, it should be about one pound eighty-three, and it's still one ninety. Mm. So what gets me at the end of all those things that you just listed that yeah. slap price on top of petrol, then you go and fill the tank, you go in there and the little chip and pin thing says, do you want to give 25p to charity? <laughs> <25p. laughs> what, mate? <laughs> I think I've already been fleeced enough. Welcome back to Headliners. I'm Stephen Allen, joined by Josh Howie and Roger Monkhouse. Unless any of them have resigned during the break, we'll check in a second. Uh, Wednesday's Times, does the BBC have Antiques Roadshow trying to avoid history, Roger? Wow. Um, this is where it gets controversial. In a briefing document soliciting pitches from producers, the corporation said, the high-profile nature of Antiques Roadshow means that it is often under a great deal of public scrutiny as to how it handles sensitive areas such as colonial history. We are looking for experience in managing compliance issues and reputational risk. This is a bit like the National Trust trying to decolonize the visiting stately homes experience. It seems a little bit irrelevant. I mean, you can't delve into British history much without hitting upon um, colonization and empire. Of course you can't. Um, and the fact is, 
The Antiques Roadshow is not, and this is where I might just get into a little bit of trouble, uh, a black programme, is it really? I mean, black people don't do antiques. It's a cultural thing. It's a frighteningly white obsession. Uh, I don't know entirely what the reasons are. It's like Glastonbury. Black people don't do Glastonbury. They've got more oh, in sense. Some, some do. <laughs> I would say exclusively uh, interested in that. Uh, but yeah, that'll probably get you in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> good luck with that. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, it, I don't really understand what, how. I mean, I guess they can mention things as they come up. Uh, but yeah, this this phrase, managing compliance issues and reputational risk of colonial history. I'm wondering if it means that someone sort of brings in a a, a, a painting of uh, Edward Coulson and then they kind of throw it in the sea. <laughs> that, if that's what they're if that's what they're working for. But they also I love the way that they I mean the BBC are just the best for the way that they produce these documents and their phrasing. That they go, phrasing is beautiful, yeah. isn't well, it? Well they want someone to reach outside the linear transmission, uh, i.e. use of social platforms. Well that's the only example I mean they're not using smoke signals here. It's is it's that what is that show WIA or whatever. It's the it's the people their job is just to come up with these ridiculous obfuscating words and phrasing. Where just say, like, yeah, you just want to go viral, mate. Yeah. Mate, the important part. People within the BBC who can't be fired because they've got an amazing system. If you're staff there, you, you just can't be fired. It's brilliant. But then you can also get away with doing no work if you spend, like, a full, maybe that's half a day's work there, isn't it, coming up with that sentence? You just say we want to mm. go viral. You've got to do some actual work. Uh, you work on that, all of a sudden... Well, it could be there how their creativity is sort of peaked or whatever. But it is interesting to know that each episode of uh, Antiques Roadshow costs 100 27,000 people. Uh, I noticed that. Pounds, a lot of money, isn't it? A lot of money. Although in terms of TV production, is that so much? Probably not. That's but it really great. devalues the worth of the thing that someone brings on. They go like, oh, look at this yeah. item that's been in your family for, for generations <laughs> and it's worth 10 grand, which is a small fraction of what all this costs. You would see whooping and hollering and celebration if someone <laughs> got something valued at 10 grand and it turns out, that, yeah, it turns out Fiona Bruce is on more than that every episode. <laughs> episode. <Right. laughs> uh, Wednesday's Mirror is the most pointless annual survey out again. It's the most popular baby names. Tell us which one it is, Josh. Ooh. Yes, well, uh, Olivia has been knocked off the top spot. She, Olivia's been there for since 2015. It is now Lily uh, yeah. for, for girls and boys. I guess now, probably in another year, they won't, this will be the last time they do the girls and boys list. It'll be <laughs> non-gender specific <laughs> names or whatever. Uh, Lily is the, the middle name of my daughter, so I feel like I was ahead of the curve a little bit, a few years ahead there. Um, Aria and Ivy have made it into the top 10. Aria, number 10, I think that's Aria Stark. And Ivy from the, um, the classic 90s uh, film Poison Ivy, sort of soft. <laughs> well, I don't know if you remember that no. film. Anyway, possibly, I don't know if that's... Uh, those. Now, Mohammed... That'll be it. Yeah, Mohammed and Noah are number one and two, eternally fighting it out, uh, <laughs> the Abrahamic religions. And, uh, but it's interesting... That what I that you know you, every year this article comes out, but what I hadn't really factored in is how popular culture the impact it does have on these things. And in one particular way is um, that negatively, like so Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. Amber's now being knocked out of the top hundred. Johnny has gone oh, like wow. way down as well. Wagatha Christie trial. There are no Wagathas this year. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, there's, but also, this is this amazed me just for no... There's no Waynes. There's no one in this country born in the last six months has been called Wayne. Wow. That seems... Because for me, when I was growing up, it's like everybody yes, was Wayne. So absolutely. there are things like that which I think is really interesting. Uh, Zion has actually come into number 95, and that's the middle name of my 
uh, youngest son, so again, ahead of the curve. And the one that we really want to know is Joshua is number 34. Now, I can't, it doesn't say whether it's gone up or down. I've been on television now for about six months, so I can't see how it's not gone up from 90-ish. <laughs> I'm disappointed. <laughs> I'm disappointed to note that Roger's not listed at all, because that's now, it turns out, is an old geezer's name, and I had no concept of that. Um, during lockdown, I, 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 I started gardening for old ladies for a bit of cash, and all the old ladies I worked for, charmingly, were called Anne and Liz. And I'd never previously thought of Anne and Liz as being old lady names, but they are. They've been chased out of these lists, and yeah. now they're old lady names. It used to be Ethel's, but now we're all old enough that Ethel's are probably coming back yeah, in. Ethel's yeah, are yeah, gone. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe Rose, for instance. Rose would have been something our grandmothers were called, but now perhaps it's coming in. I don't know... A little while ago, I think Victorian girls' names were fashionable. Lily, of course, yeah, is, Lily, is yeah. a Victorian girl's name. That's it. But like, well, my kids are called ridiculous names, which I love. Well, I Mordechai. Thought... No one in the top of <laughs> Mordechai. I thought, because you always think you're, you're not part of the zeitgeist, don't you? You always think you're ahead or different. But then it turns out, years later, it turns out you're a part of the zeitgeist. My daughter's called Emilia, spelt in the Eastern European way. But I noticed that that's crept into the top 50. They copied you. They saw that and thought, yeah. I'll have a slice of that. You give it a couple of weeks, Elon Musk kid will, will, will suddenly... <laughs> there'll be loads of ones that look like Teletext gone wrong. Um, Josh, are they, uh, can we have all the names of your kids? Not yes, the, Mordecai is the eldest. Uh, then there is... I have to actually remember them quickly. Uh, <laughs> Art, who's named after Artie Shaw, famous clarinetist. Uh, then there's uh, Woodrow, after Woody Allen. Um, Bet after Bet Midler. And Zero, after Zero Mustel. Oh, Mordecai. I thought you were going to say after the accounting software, but I guess no, you spell it the other no. way. They're all Jewish entertainers, essentially. Sounds like a Harry Potter spell. There we are. None of them like um, Harry Potter, really. Oh, really? No, no, strangely. Strange. My daughter didn't like him either. I feel that might be a separate issue that is uh, not the story we're dealing with. <laughs> Wednesday's Independent. Will J.K. Rowling... Oh, so oh, wait. That we are See, dealing that's, with What a segue that turned out to be. What <laughs> professionals we are. Will J.K. be helping Macy Gray? I guess she'll try, Roger. It's the only song I could think of. <laughs> I don't know any Macy Gray songs, so that frankly was lost on me. But well done for your... Youth culture reference there. Uh, J.K. <laughs> Rowling. How, how, how many decades ago was Macy Gray top of the... I mean, honestly, uh, I, I think don't it was know. the 90s or something. They're great yeah, songs, no. great album. She's a great singer. Well, she's I do. Voice. She's got a wonderful voice. Yeah. Absolutely right. Uh, well, anyway. Great songs. Can you name another one that's not I Try? No. I Try. Try really hard. <laughs> the extended version. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming out trouble. It's clear. I hear... Yes, she did have a great voice. <laughs> Shut your eyes and she's in the room. Um, J.K. Rowling says that she'll be buying Macy Gray's entire back catalogue following the singer's, in inverted commas, transphobic comments. Uh, Rowling has repeatedly been criticised and accused of transphobia for her past comments about transgender people. J.K. Rowling has said that she'll be purchasing Macy Gray's entire back catalogue. I thought it would be like... Sony buying Michael Jackson's back catalogue, but I think she just means like a few CDs. Well, I think the thing is, she's she's loaded. Yes. I don't understand why she doesn't just join a streaming service. That <laughs> you know, like you can get the Apple at the moment are doing like a one, three for one month deal or something. I'm just saying, I don't want to tell J.K. Rowling how to spend her money, but it is interesting here, as you said, in inverted commas, transphobic comments because she didn't make transphobic comments. She exactly. basically, she said, on a TV, on this other channel, I can't remember which one it was, with this presenter. Some trash. Some guy. We don't 
I don't know who, some talky thing, whatever it is. Never heard of it. Yeah, imi imitators. Anyway, <laughs> point is, uh, Macy Gray, you're always welcome on here. And she said that basically uh, you can't just like chop off some bits or, um, that, and that that's not going to make you a woman. Like whatever you call yourself, being a woman is more uh, deep than that, is more integral. Like being a young, Going up as a young girl, it's more, you know, it's a lived experience thing as yep. well. So she basically said truth. Uh, but of course... That's for for people for trans rights activists. Uh, the truth that's what they would call transphobic. So if you're saying that biological sex is binary, they would say that's transphobic. If you're saying that only biological men should compete in women's sports because that's fair, then that's transphobic. If you think that uh, men uh, biological men self-IDing into uh, rapists, self-IDing into women's prisons is wrong, then guess what? You're transphobic, according to trans rights activists. So. Uh, it's, it's become a totally meaningless term. Macy Gray, uh, respect to her, speaking the truth. It's a big deal. Of course, uh, she's had a, a lot of uh, flack from it because J.K. Rowling, who's said only very similar things, death threats, rape threats. And um, yesterday, another person, Bette Midler, came out, who I named my daughter after, and Bette Midler basically came out and said, Stop erasing names of women, like stop erasing the name woman and mother. And that's a massive deal because she's such a big gay icon. Mm -hmm. So to try and cancel her is going to be very interesting. Already Macy Gray, though, has kind of, she hasn't backtracked, but she put out a tweet about an hour ago saying that she's been sort of misinterpreted. But she, they've been getting attacked like all day. Understandable to backtrack when you see the hostility, the oh, my fury gosh. that yeah. comments like that engender. Also, I have to observe it's a generational thing, isn't it? You look at uh, J.K. Rowling, Bette Midler, uh, and indeed Macy Gray. They're of our generation, dare I say. You talk to millennials about this and they have a different angle entirely and I really can't quite get my head well, around it. Well, because they've been raised learning some anti-science right. claptrap in, in schools in the by schools. these companies. It's, and it's also in. worth remembering my favourite fact about millennials is that now they're in the 40s. We always use the word millennials to <laughs> mean young, but yeah, they're 41, Absolutely. I think, is the oldest. Generation QX or whatever it's called. <laughs> yeah, many will be into Greek letters. Call it Omicron, that'll confuse people. Um, Wednesday's Daily Mail and the sitcom Friends have found something else to say sorry for, Josh. Yeah, so Friends, um, they yeah. had a trans character in it, which was pay, uh, played by but a trans woman that was actually played by a woman who was uh, Kathleen uh, Turner, which was really funny because she'd had like she had this very she has a very deep voice and it was like this kind of running joke but they he would refer to her as his father and then now that one of the creators of friends is saying that uh she's sorry because that was like misgendering or using the wrong pronouns or whatever but for that character Chandler Bing that was his father you know what i mean so it, it, that doesn't change because someone then changes sex or, cha or changes their gender identity or whatever. What's intriguing what about this, I think, is that no comedy, no references escape their times. You see all sorts of uh, references which today wouldn't be acceptable in comedies from a previous generation, a previous era. That's more or less what's happening here. But what's frightening, I think, is that you get the producers of these uh, products, these comedies in this instance, um, recanting almost in a religious way, you know, like, 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 like it's a necessity, like it's a religious conversion. I can't really believe that uh, they think what they produced was evil and profoundly wrong. I don't really believe that what they 
were doing at the time was indeed transphobic. And yet now they're keen to acknowledge that it was. This, this ideology didn't exist 20 of years course. ago when this was made. So of it's course. absolutely ridiculous to be apologising for it after the fact, for something that's only been created but since To, to Roger's point about how you always see comedy change, you give it enough decades and comedy changes. And we all hit an age where we want comedy to stay exactly as it is, but yes. it'll continue to change. But to, to look back on previous work and say, oh, I wouldn't have written it like that now, is... Well, it's perfectly fine to say, but mm. I guarantee you a newspaper would take that and go, they've really apologised. Yes, now, I'm not really cheating. Now, point. the Friends example is, yeah. I mean, I think that apology is misplaced and isn't what I'm saying, but I, what's the name of the Scottish sketch show that the BBC edited bits absolutely. out of? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. absolutely, I can't remember which oh, one it was, right. but they, they took yeah. some bits out and the writers of it said, oh, yeah, I wouldn't do that sketch again now. And we could all move on with our lives if we hadn't have taken that story and made it some big issue of cancellation. Uh, John Cleese, of course, made remarks about uh, Forty Towers, about the Major's character and his use of pejorative racial slang. Um, it was of its time. It was funny. Yeah. Well, um, that's another one that will roll on and on. We'll talk about <laughs> it. Wednesday's Metro. We might have to be short on this, which is going to be interesting. It's uh, an issue that's not close to our hearts. It's nearer to our knees. Um, Roger, give us the details. Oh, here we go. Oh, good grief. It's the bit of smut at the end. Yep. Um, I've been left with the bit of smut at the end. The big end? <laughs> wait for it, wait for it. Story. Language, Timothy. <laughs> is your penis too big? Said no one ever. New TV show is looking for men that are, in inverted commas, too large to love. Not this, call me. This is, this is tawdry stuff, isn't it? The course of true love never did run smooth. While those wise words from William Shakespeare still run Because I love day. how they're trying to make it classy. We've, that's <laughs> right. We've only got, like, <laughs> got like 15 seconds on this. So OK, oh, just give them right. the website and so they can, so people can call that's, in. Sadly, we can't give you those details. <laughs> okay. um, uh, so thank Nonsense. you very much to my guests, Josh Howie <laughs> and Roger Monkhouse, with those details. We'll be back same time tomorrow for more Headliners. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.